0: Hey, well, <laughs> good morning, Sedaris. It's good to be live. It's good to be live here with you. If you were to come down to the building that's attached to the parking lot where we've met a few times in the, in the month of July, uh, you'd find us here right now. There'd be a uh, few people here, just a couple people making this uh, happen. Obviously, the band. Thanks, band, for being here. You guys are the best. Uh, Ryan. is my guy. <laughs> Jordan on the camera. Kurt mixing on the soundboard, Tyler running these slides. So uh, pretty fun fun times, and we're so glad that you've joined us as well. So um, today we are continuing in our series in Peter. Uh, What we're saying about Peter is he's not your average fisherman, and he gives us sort of the script, he gives us the playbook to how to be a Christian in the city. And he wrote his letters, both First and Second Peter, to a group of churches who were in urban context and they're trying to live out the life of Jesus, live out the gospel in community, uh, in challenging times. And so uh, we continue there uh, in the book of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter two. So if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, would you grab it now? You could turn to Second Peter, chapter two. We'll also throw up those Scriptures uh, for you this week and. Uh, but it's great to have your Bible there so you can see all of it in context and go back and study it on your own as well. So before we get started, would you just pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, you are the God of all things, creator of the universe. Uh, Your majesty is proclaimed in creation. Your wonder is on full display for all to see. Um, God, you are the source of truth and life and beauty and goodness, and so we pray now that we might, by your Spirit, be connected to you, that you might deliver to us a word today, a word that stirs our affections for your Son, Jesus, so that we might be like you, created in your image. And what is the image of God? To love the Son as you love him. That is Jesus Christ. So would you just stir our affections for Jesus? God, would you give us the word you want us to hear today that it might change our life for your glory and for our good. So we pray this right now, humbly coming to your word, that you would move powerfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we are in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're actually going to look at several different passages from around this book, okay? So let me just orient you. Maybe you weren't here um, last week we did baptisms, uh, great stories of baptism. If you haven't watched those, you can see that on the YouTube channel. Uh, amazing stories of God's grace. And, uh, but the two weeks before that, we talked about two things that, that, are, um, that sit as bookends to what we're going to talk to today. And the bookends were, so this was three weeks ago, we talked about God's justice. That this desire we have for justice is rooted in the character and nature of God. We want justice because God wants justice. And and, and in Second Peter we are promised that God will bring justice. That's part of the good news that any evil that is unrepentant and unconfessed and not placed on Jesus Christ on the cross, God will balance the scales of justice one day. So that, that justice is coming. And in the context of Second Peter, Peter's talking about that judgment and punishment, that justice for false teachers. This was a group of men within the, their community who were part of the community that what, what were teaching a, a different gospel, different teachings than the Apostles had taught, even different than Peter himself was teaching. And, and, and it's having serious impact on the church there. And so Peter says, "You might wonder why these guys are not being judged by God now, but don't worry, God will make all things right, He will bring justice." And then two weeks ago, um, that's already been decided. Justice has already been decided. And two weeks ago, we talked about, well, why hasn't it come yet? And what we said is that God's love is so deep and, and truly different than ours. His divine love leads him to patience. And so he waits. He waits even for these false teachers who were hurting other people. And actually lying about God himself, he waits for them that they might repent and turn from their ways, turn from their teachings, humble themselves, swallow their pride, and ask God to forgive them and to restore relationship. And God waits patiently for all people. That's why he hasn't brought his full justice yet. And so with these two things, we have to ask then the question, what is the result The result of the already decided justice and judgment of God and the not yet waiting of God leads us to this middle place. And that is a place that we live in right now. It is a time when we must be driven by the Spirit to discern what is true and right and good and beautiful if we hope to survive and thrive in this already but not yet moment In salvation history where God has already told us and delivered justice in Jesus Christ but he's waiting to bring it in full so that some might turn to him that's the time we live in and we must discern what to follow who to listen to which teachings align with God and this is very difficult But if we want to escape, as Peter talks about, from the ultimate justice and judgment of God, we have to discern God's will. Just like Righteous Lot, you can read about that, we won't read about that today in chapter 2, just like Noah in the flood, we can escape trials, but we need God's help. So how does God... Rescue us in this time. How does he give us what we need in this time in order to make it through these trials, especially in the context of 2 Peter, the trials of false teaching? The answer is by telling us what to watch out for, how to tell if someone is truly teaching the word and the will of God or if they're teaching something else. God is actually going to give us through the apostles what we need in order to figure that out, and and actually, what you realize when you just read through the New Testament is so much of the New Testament is littered with um, conversation about false teachers, and you wonder why they talk so much about false teachers because it's a real issue, it's a serious issue, and. Uh, uh, what you have to understand is God wants to deliver God has a delivery system. He wants to deliver the good, right truth that leads to holiness, righteousness and thriving. He wants to deliver that to us, but God's delivery system has a real vulnerability. And his vulnerability the vulnerability in his supply chain of the good the good food, the good water, the life-giving stuff The vulnerability in the supply chain is us. And I'm pointing both to me as a human being, but primarily to me as a teacher of the Word. The vulnerability in God's supply chain is the teachers of the Word because they're human, they're sinful, and they are very susceptible to corruption. That's why the Bible talks so often about false teachers, Now, if you're not yet a Christian in the room, you might be wondering, well, what does this message have to do with me? It's a great question. Here's why you should continue to listen and watch this. Um, even though Peter's talking to Christians, we have to remember that because this is the vulnerability in God's supply chain of truth, that there are cracks and divergence in so many directions. And you can use the principles that I'm gonna to explain today as a way to discern truth for yourself. Even if you're not yet a Christian. Even if you're not yet a Christian, the things I say today will help you discern truth in whatever source you're coming to. Even though primarily Peter's talking about teachers within the church. Pastors, preachers, authors within the Christian church. But, but the principles, I think, apply. Because God's truth is truth for all, at all times, in all places, in all ways. So, false teaching is important to talk about. I don't think we talk about it enough as a church, because it's littered in the New Testament with references to false teachers. So, uh, just wherever you're sitting at home, raise your hand if you can remember the last time that you seriously considered if something you heard or read About Jesus or the church or about the Christian faith was false teaching. Just raise your hand wherever you're sitting if you've thought deeply about is this false teaching? I can't see all your hands at home, Um, but I'm guessing that most people don't think about this very often. Well, people back in Peter's day were the same way. They just assumed if they were going to a church or listening to a Christian sermon or listening to a Christian teacher that that person was of goodwill and was teaching the teachings of Jesus. They just assume it. We, most of us just assume it, <laughs> which is why it's such a vulnerability, because we are Christians, and we want to give people the benefit of the doubt. We want to respect and love and embrace all people and what they have to say, and surely if they're talking about Jesus, why would they do that if they were doing it for any other reason but delivering truth? And the answer is there's lots of reasons, okay? There's lots of reasons, and we have to be aware of them, so we must be on guard, you say, Dave, that seems to be a little close-minded. That seems to be a little fear-based, telling us to be careful of false teachers. Um, you, might, you might be saying in, in, in your head this. You might be saying, listen, there's, there's lots of truth in a lot of things. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater or else we'll miss out on some really important truth that's out there. You might say something like this. There's, there's something I can learn from every teacher. So why should I censor what I take in, I'm going to miss out. You know, there's, there's real truth in those statements, in those thoughts. But I, I want to just say this. The reason that you come across a podcast, a book, uh, a popular preacher, a blog, even like a Google article, the reason you come across that is because there's enough good food for thought in there that somebody heard it, read it, and passed it along. So there is something good in there. That's why people share it. That's why people are drawn in. That's why they pass it along. That's why they recommend things. Because there is good food in it. Otherwise, we wouldn't know about these things. Otherwise, these false teachers that Peter's talking about, they wouldn't have had a following within the churches that he's writing to. But let me give you a little illustration that help you understand. Imagine... um, if someone invites you to dine with them at a restaurant and they say, listen, there is some very good food here, really good food, I've eaten here several times, lots of really good food, but, but just, just be aware that um, there is just, in, 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 a, in a part of every meal, there's a chance that there's some poison in the food. <laughs> and I just want you to know about that, but there's a lot of good food here. And just a little bit of poison. You have to ask yourself the question, would you still go with that friend to eat at that restaurant? Well, maybe. That's a real maybe. If, one, you were convinced that it was possible to identify and isolate the poisonous parts from the rest of the meal. If you were sure that that's possible. And then, two, if you were convinced that you had the skill and experience and knowledge to identify and isolate it for yourself. Then I think it's okay to go eat at that restaurant. I would go eat if I felt like those two things were possible. Um, So how do we know that? Let me me give you a couple case studies. Um, I'll give you three people. The first is Pastor Ryan. Pastor Ryan, he's been to seminary He's been a believer for over a decade. Um, He's had many mentors that helped him sift through truth. He's um, had lots of independent study of the Bible. And so Pastor Ryan, he can go to pretty much any restaurant that's out there, no matter how much potential poison is in the food. He knows how to recognize the good and stay away from the bad. And so he can take in almost anything. Let me give you another example. Last Sunday, we got to baptize uh, (laughs) Camron, and his testimony is beautiful. But Camron has only been a Christian for maybe a year, and he didn't grow up in the church. And and so he's very new to these truths, and God is moving in his heart, and he has a type of knowledge that, that he can share with anybody right now. But Kamran hasn't spent much time studying the Bible on his own. He hasn't had enough time sitting with mentors identifying how to to see truth and how to see falsehood. And so what I'd say to Kamran is, let's wait to eat at certain restaurants until you you grow up into your faith and you begin to develop a palate to understand which food is good. And once you've eaten at really good, reputable places for a long time, then you'll be able to go and expand your dining, and you'll get to to gather some truth from other sources, but not be at danger of going down a wrong path. Now, the third type of person is the rest of us, somewhere in between Pastor Ryan and Comron. We are somewhere in between Now, the question is, how do we determine if we're closer to Pastor Ryan or closer to Kamran? Well, the first question to ask yourself is this. Have you been able to self-identify false teaching, dangerous teaching in the past? Do you have experience tasting food, recognizing something's a little bit off with it, and then putting it to the side, or at least identifying it, marking it as Uh, errant teaching so for example this would be if you've read or listened to something uh, heard somebody speak um, and said to yourself that's that's a little bit dangerous the way he or she's talking about that and um, and here's why that is contrary to scripture or i went and i double-checked what that person said and i realized that's not actually what the scriptures teach if you've had that experience, then, then maybe you're a little bit closer to Ryan than Camron. But if you've never done that, <laughs> if, you, if you've never actually gone through that process, then you just need to be honest with yourself. You're probably a little bit closer to Camron than to Ryan. Here's another example. If when you hear somebody talk, like a pastor, um, like myself, maybe somebody that you trust, And you hear them question someone's teaching, and you struggle to follow their reasoning as to why that's dangerous, and you say to yourself, I don't really get what he's saying. I don't don't know why he's questioning this, or pointing out this, or I don't understand why. Then you're probably closer to Cameron because you haven't had the experiencing of reasoning through different arguments. And I would say, you should just wait to eat out at new restaurants, Unless, of course, you take Pastor Ryan with you or somebody who is steeped in the faith that is trained in discerning truth, then you might go and have them help you wrestle with the food. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's get into the text, and I think this will make even more sense as we go through. Again, the point here is we're trying to avoid taking in things that are going to hurt us and taking things in that are going to help us grow and move forward. And different people at different stages in their walk are at different places and will dine at different restaurants. And that's not wrong, that's just wise. So let's look at the text as Peter's going to give us some rules for discerning for spotting false teachers, or poisonous teaching, you might call it, he's going to give us some pointers, okay? So the first text I want you to look at is 2 Peter 2.1. So the very uh, beginning of this chapter sort of sets the stage for the rest of chapter 2. It says this. I think we've got it on the screen here. But false prophets also arose among the people, he's talking about in ancient Israel, and just as, there will, just as there will be false teachers among you. So he's saying, this has always been a part of the people of God needing to discern what is true and what is right and good and beautiful. And there's also always gonna be people who teach contrary to that. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That's just errorous teaching, false teaching. Even denying the master who bought them. So that's the first thing to notice. If somebody's denying Jesus, or that Jesus is the one that paid uh, for their sin, if he's their redeemer, if he's the Messiah, if somebody's denying that, that's obvious false teaching. Usually it's a little bit uh, more nuanced than that, but that's the first thing to think about. They are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So, uh, that was Peter's point, talked about that three weeks ago. Don't worry, they're not just going to get away with leading people astray. Now jump with me, Ahead a few uh, verses to, chap- or to, to verse 9 and 10. Here's what it says Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous, he's talking about the false teachers here, under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So what does this mean? Well, those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority, the first thing I'll say about that is this: We must be very weary of teachers who do not tremble when they talk about God, or, as Second Peter's talking about, about the angels talking about the divine, when they do not tremble, but challenge agreed upon historic tenets of the Christian gospel and faith. So I'm not saying that there's nothing to challenge. What I'm saying is that when teachers do not even tremble at the notion to question what Christians for 2,000 years have said is true and have interpreted the scriptures, there may be challenge necessary, but if they do not tremble at that thought, Something is broken on the inside, and here's why I think. Go to uh, 2 Peter 2.15. We'll put it on the screen. It says this. Uh, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy as Timothy begins to lead and teach in this church. Um, Paul says to him, Teacher, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Now look at James 3.1. Throw it up on the screen there. Not many of us should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If you're teaching God's word and that doesn't make you tremble, if you blaspheme God or the angels or some historic ten of the faith and you don't tremble when you're doing it, because challenge is needed at times, but if you don't even tremble, to me, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I myself, I tremble at the perspective of teaching something false about God, about God's Word, about God's truth. I, I tremble every time I get up here and I speak. I am fearful. I tremble because I have a reverence for what, what this task is, and I know that God will judge me stricter even than the average Christian. A famous author who was formerly a pastor uh, once said, um, in a book that I read of his, he was writing this book. It was a New York Times bestseller. He, he, said, he said, listen, I wrote this book uh, not as a pastor, just as a Christian wrestling through these issues. That made me so upset. If people are listening to what you are teaching, you don't get to just say, I'm just an average Christian, If God's given you a platform to teach, you are a teacher, and James 1 and 2 Timothy 2.15 apply to you. Do you hear the lack of reverence for challenging or teaching the word of God? you see what's wrong with that? Be very weary, friends, of people who do not tremble when they challenge and question what the word of God says. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. I'm saying if you don't tremble when you do it, Something's not right in your heart. Second thing to look out for when discerning the food, or you could call it the chef. <laughs> Dangerous teachers also live their lives. They also live their life. Not, not, not just teach, they also live their lives without trembling. Peter Second Peter talks about it here so often. Loose living, the lust of defiling passions we just read. Um, literally, the translation of indulge there is to go after the flesh. So, so the right way to think about what he's saying is um, they have passion for sex, and it rules their life. The same I think what Peter's doing here, he's, he's looking back to the Old Testament where it says in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they went after, or they, to go after is the word that he's using, to go after other gods. So Peter's saying here, they go after sex. They are literally deifying sexual desire. That's part of the false teaching that's happening with these teachers. They want to give in to their sexual desires, so they're changing the teaching about God's holiness, and they're deifying sexual desire. <sighs> if, you're not, if that's not ringing in your mind like, wait, we do that now, <laughs> I mean that's what's happening today. We are deifying sexual desire as if it is above any and all other teachings. Like as long as the desire's there, then we should give in to the desire. If if you don't see that nothing's changed in 2000 years, what you don't realize is that we are always vulnerable to the deification of sexual desire even within the church. Even within the church. So, look now at, at, at uh, chapter 2, verse 2. I, just wanna, I want you to see this. It's everywhere in chapter 2. He says this. Um, and many will follow their sensuality. Again, he's speaking to their sexual lifestyle. Many will follow, their, uh, follow them into this lifestyle. And then jump with me to verse 13. Verse 13 says this. They count it. This is the middle of verse 13. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. What is he saying? He's saying it's not only that, that these men have a struggle with sexual temptation. It's that they are literally doing it publicly and celebrating it as if it's freedom in Christ, and they're doing it in the daytime so everyone can see it. It's not a struggle for them, because because all of us struggle with sexual temptation and we fall short at times. So that doesn't preclude you from being a teacher. What precludes you is that you're doing it in the daytime. You're celebrating it. You're not even trying uh, to keep it from anyone. You're just living it large. And and Peter says, and, and those will follow you because when you're a teacher, you're not just a deliverer of information. You're a role model. And Peter's saying, listen, they're doing it in the daytime and people are starting to live like they live. And it's killing people. It's killing them. They flaunt it. They do not tremble at the way they live as teachers, as role models. They don't, they don't hold that with great respect and reverence. They are challenging the, 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 the universally accepted ways of living with regard to the sexuality that Christians and God's people have forever accepted as true. They don't even tremble when they challenge it. They're doing it in the daytime. Watch out for people who live their lives like that and yet teach as if they're teachers of the word of God. Third, look at uh, verse three. Look at verse three. I'm gonna go on and, I'm getting old. I have to go on and on with my glasses. This is, this is sad. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse three says, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Another translation says, they will exploit you with stories that they've made up. So how will you know and recognize that they've made up a story? Like most pastors, right? How do you know that the stories they're telling you are true? You don't. And some guys are just making stuff up. They're literally saying, well, you know, the Bible says this, and they're just making it up. And you, and you probably won't know, because most of us haven't haven't studied the scripture so in depthly that when somebody who claims to be a teacher, who maybe has a degree, who maybe uh, has a platform, says, Hey, this is what the Bible says. They're just making up stories because of what? Their greed. And what are they greedy for? It's money, it's influence, and it's a pleasing lifestyle. All three of those things. Let me talk about money real quick. Look at verse 14. Look at chapter 2, verse 14 says this They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. Um, These guys are sexual predators. They're taking advantage of their power in the community. And then look at what he brings up in verse 16. Actually, I'll just keep, keep reading. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. You see Peter getting, he's upset right now just thinking about this. He says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, guess what? Most of you probably don't know who Balaam is. So I can make up a story right now. But I want you to go fact check me and read about Balaam. It's in Numbers chapter 22, you can go read about it. Here's the story of Balaam. Balaam was a diviner. He was a master of divinity, which is the degrees that Ryan and I have. He was known. He was a prophet in the land, and he actually did speak with God. And the king of Moab came to him when when the king of Moab saw the Israelites and and saw that they were a great army, and he was afraid. And he came to this diviner, this godly man Balaam and said I want you to prophesy against the Israelites I want you to call down God to protect us and Balaam said okay I'll talk to God and 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 the king of Moab brought him say I'll pay you this much money to do this so Balaam said okay I'll pray about it he talked to God and God said no Israel is they're my people and Balaam came back and said yo you know King Balaam I can't do that I can't okay I cannot uh, speak against the word of God well guess what uh, the king of Moab did he brought back more money, and he said a second time, hey, twice as much money, 10 times. We don't know how much it was. He said, we need your help. And uh, Balaam went back to God, and and something happened there where Balaam changed his mind, and he said, okay, I'll do it. And Balaam starts to ride from where he lived to the the capital of Moab uh, to speak these oracles against the people of Israel, and along the way, his donkey that he was riding on takes him off the path in, into, the, into a vineyard, and the donkey begins to speak and rebuke him. That's the story of Balaam. <laughs> I mean, you just think Shrek, okay? Just think the great, the great theological movie Shrek. The donkey just starts spitting game and being like, what are you doing? You know God isn't for this. You know those are his people. Anyhow, read the story for yourself. Anyhow, the way the story goes... Um, Balaam is rebuked. He goes to Moab and he speaks oracles of blessing, not curse, against Israel. And then eventually, um, the people of Israel conquer the land. But the story ends poorly for Balaam. That's why he's such a negative example. He was not only rebuked by a donkey, but what seems to happen is after Israel conquered Moab, Balaam had a strange idea to get the Israelites to cohabitate, you could say, <laughs> with the Moabite women, and, started, and then Israel started worshiping their gods. That's usually what happens with cohabitation. And then um, like t- the plague strikes Israel and 24,000 die, and the scriptures kind of blame that on Balaam. Okay? So Balaam's not a positive figure. Not only does he get, get shrecked, but he also kills 24,000 of God's people. And it was all because of his greed. That's why Peter brings him up. His greed led him in the wrong way. He loved gain from wrongdoing, and it led to disaster for God's people. So people will follow money, and they'll follow it into false teaching, and they'll tickle the ears of the people because they love the money. The other thing they love, they're greedy for influence. They like book sales, likes on Facebook, uh, views, applause, that's intoxicating for all people and, and maybe teachers even more. They become greedy for it. Popular teachers can fall into the trap of becoming like a drug dealer. People love drug dealers. Like if you're addicted to the drug, like you love your drug dealer. He's like, he's like really important to you. And you love him because he gives you what you want when you want it. And that makes drug dealers very rich. But they be- they're so detached from the actual outcome of their drug that they never get to see the pain and the fallout. Popular teachers are like that. They get so addicted to, hey, people love it, I'm giving them what they want, and they never have to deal with the fallout of their teaching, of the drug they're dealing. They might not even know what it's doing to people, how it's crushing their faith, how people are literally turning from God and running into sin and destruction. They don't know because they're detached, because they're sitting behind a camera, because they're sitting behind writing a book. Be very, very weary, my friends, of people who are detached from real community and real congregation If you leave, it's not necessarily wrong to leave your church to just focus on your writing career, but be very wary of people who detach from their congregation and just become these unattainable, distant sort of uh, sages from sort of the virtual stage. I mean, look at our views here. I am not in danger of being one of these people. I'm no drug dealer. Look for people who are attached to people who are ministering to the people that they're also teaching. If they're not doing that, just be weary. Just take a pause, okay? Now, the other thing they're greedy for is a pleasing lifestyle. Um, one very influential Christian author, um, who actually one of these people who left their church just to, to, to kind of speak on the circuit and write books, um, I heard him in an interview talk about this. He basically said, I love my life now. You know, I used to have to, like, minister to people and, like, pastor people and prepare messages every week. Now what I get to do is I surf every day and then I write in the afternoon. You don't think people are greedy for a personally pleasing lifestyle? I surf every day and then I write in the afternoon. That sounds good to me. Maybe I'm just jealous, (laughs) okay? Maybe I'm just jealous. So there's there's a chance I'm just jealous. But it seems to me that's not what God calls his prophets and teachers into. He calls them into a life that could be very unpleasing but glorifying to Christ our King. So again, be weary of people who seem to be living very pleasing lifestyles. It's not necessarily true that that they're serving bad food. I'm just saying it's one of the things that Peter says, be very weary of people who are greedy for their own preferential lifestyle. Greedy for money, greedy for influence, greedy for their, their own preferential lifestyle. See how opposite that is from Jesus? I mean, have you studied the life of Jesus? How could you ever hear that and think that those people are Jesus people? That those are the people Jesus sent. <laughs> Jesus is the truest of all teachers. And those that do not look anything like him, we should be weary of the food they serve. Fourth, uh, let's read uh, chapter 3. Go into chapter 3 now because the whole letter of 2 Peter is about this. Chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desire, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And we talked about this two weeks ago. False teachers are often Proposing the idea that I'm not so sure Jesus is coming back like we all thought he was. And and look at verse 5. When they do this, what are they doing? Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact. (laughs) And you can read on about what these particular false teachers were deliberately overlooking. But that is so common of false teachers. They deliberately overlook what the Bible says. They just don't even address it. They just deliberately overlook it. They know it better than you do, and so they know I can't bring that up because people will question whether what I'm saying is true because again and again and again, the Bible teaches Old Testament and New that the Messiah must come and set up his kingdom and he'll do it on earth, and the New Testament teaches, and the apostles teach that the kingdom of God cannot come in full unless Jesus comes back again, and this time he's coming as a conquering um, um, victor not as a suffering servant, and he'll come and he'll deliver the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven, the second coming. You can't get away from it unless you deliberately overlook these passages of scripture. Okay? So false teachers do this. They either flat out deny these teachings or they spiritualize them away. They say, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't take that at face value. You know, they'll, they'll call things poetic that are clearly not poetic. Some, some, some of this is poetic, but not all of it. There's so many non-poetic claims to Jesus coming again, so they'll, but they'll spiritualize it away. Be careful of that when you hear that. And all these, these false teachers, just like in Peter's day, they tend to be optimistic about our human ability to create the kingdom of God. They say, we don't need Jesus. We can just create it on our own. We don't need his intervention. If you hear that, and you don't hear the recognition of our fallenness and our depravity and our need for help, then there's a good chance there's poison in that teaching. Fifth thing, look at 315 through 16. 315 through 16 says this. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation. We talked about that two weeks ago. Just as our beloved brother Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. Again, he speaks of these matters often. There are some things in them, in his writings, that are hard to understand. Yes. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scripture. Do you see this? Peter is calling the writings of Paul equivalent to the other scriptures. That's the Old Testament. And the thing you'll see over and over again is that false teachers and teachings tend to deny Paul. To this day, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. People still, ah, I don't listen to Paul. I don't know, was he a real apostle? You know, Paul said some crazy things. Peter says that was happening while Paul was still alive. And Paul's writings are equivalent to Scripture. That's what this passage is teaching. He says, yes, they're hard to understand at times, but this is the Word of God through the Apostle Paul. If you hear people questioning Paul, just remember Peter warned against that. And if that doesn't make you perk up and say, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should be a little careful. Just make sure. Maybe I should bring in uh, Pastor Ryan. Maybe I should bring in somebody I know that knows the Scripture as well and just see, is this... Is this okay teaching? Nothing is new under the sun, my friends. Because if you throw out Paul, then you got to throw out Peter, because Peter says to Paul. And if you throw out Peter, then you gotta, then you got to throw out the Gospel of Mark, and you also got to throw out the Gospel of Luke, because uh, Luke traveled with Paul, and Paul told him a lot of the things that he wrote. in the. You just start throwing out all the Scripture, and guess what happens? And this is what te- false teachers want. You become an authority unto yourself. That's what the false teachers want. They want to be their own authority. Peter says, watch out. It's going to destroy you. So let me say this in conclusion. How do you know if you've been eating out at poisonous restaurants? How do you know? Well, ask yourself this question. Are you growing stronger? Now, you cannot grow in your faith for a number of reasons. But if you're consuming lots of content and yet not growing, that's when you want to really be careful. Man, I eat a lot of food. I listen to a lot of sermons online. I listen to a lot of books from popular authors. And yet, I'm not growing stronger in my faith. Meaning, my confidence in Christ is not rising up. I'm not more confident in justification by faith. I'm not more confident in the supremacy and power of Jesus over all spiritual beings. I am not confident in the victory and future return of Jesus. If, if that confidence isn't growing in you, but you're consuming a lot of food, you're eating at the buffet, but it's not leading to strength, you might be consuming poisonous food. What do you do if that's you? If you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not growing, but I'm eating a lot. You see a dietitian. That's what you do. Maybe you don't need to eat more, you just need to eat the right things. Who's the dietician? Pastor Ryan, I'd say I'm, I'm probably a dietician. Come talk to us, talk to a strong, confident Christian and ask him, what should I be consuming? Here's what I have been consuming. Can you just look at this stuff for me and tell me, uh, is there something wrong here? Am I eating the wrong kinds of food? Second question to ask. When I'm consuming, even though I'm consuming a lot, are my muscles, my spiritual muscles, actually atrophying? This is actually an even more telltale sign that you're eating the wrong kind of food, dangerous food. If when you eat, your muscles atrophy. Your muscles can atrophy, yes, from laziness and neglect, but if you're eating and they're atrophying... Maybe you say, I'm listening to spiritual podcasts, I'm listening to Christian sermons, I'm reading Christian books, Uh, but my muscles aren't just not growing, they're actually getting weaker the more I read, the more I ingest, including my morality is decaying, then you know what? Some part of your diet is poisonous and it's killing you and you need to find out what it is and cut it out of the diet. Next week we'll actually talk about, we see this happening a lot in the church today. Tons of deconversion testimonies all over the place. And I think it's because people are eating poisonous food and for a long time and they don't realize it. And by the end of it, their faith is gone. And now what they have is not a conversion story of God's grace and goodness. They have a deconversion story of how it all fell apart. Talk about that next week. So here's two practicalities. If you hear yourself in any of that, or if in the future you hear yourself. If you think That something's wrong with the pate. (laughs) It just doesn't taste right. And you start to feel, I'm not growing, and actually I might be atrophying, either of those. If you're concerned that you're sampling bad teaching or teachers, what should you do? One, if you believe Ryan and I do not fall into the category of false teachers, you should come to us and you should ask our opinion. Hey, could you read this book with us? Could you read this book? I read this book. It really stirred me up. Hey, I listened to this podcast. Could you tell me, is this something that I should be um, weary of? Just ask for help. It's called humility. We'll try to give you a fair, honest opinion, and you can take it or you can leave it, but at least you're trying to discern if there's something wrong with the pate. We'll sample it for you. That's part of our job. We're the church's cupbearers. If there's poison, we ingest it. But here's the deal. We have been building up our immunity to iodine for years and years. That's poison, by the way. Princess Bride reference, too. And we, I hate to explain my jokes, but there's not enough people here to laugh. I have built, we've been building it up, so it won't kill us. It would, might hurt us and, and get us mad, but we can be your cupbearers, okay? And then the second, and I'll end with this. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to cleanse And maybe for a year say, I am only going to read the fresh water of the word of God day in and day out for 365 years, days. This is the fresh, you can trust this. You don't have to sift through this. You can just eat it raw. This is the great sushi of the spiritual world. Just eat it raw. None of the other stuff. Just do a cleanse. Fill yourself with the word of God and then you can start to discern and maybe enter back into some of these other other profitable things but things that could be dangerous. This is what uh, Peter tells us. To be weary of false teachers, to isolate them, remove them from our diet so that we might grow and thrive and bring glory to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter and his boldness in declaring these truths. Um, God, we just, we need your help right now. We need help discerning which restaurants to eat at and then, and then, and then in the food, God, which food to eat. Um, we're, we're not saying that, the, that we can't eat food, God. We know that, that there's truth all over and part of our job as Christians is to identify what's true and right and good in anything and appropriate it into our life so that we might grow and reach our city and our culture, and our society, for your good and and, and for their good. And and so we we don't want to just isolate ourselves, but God, we want to be wise in in which restaurants we step into, and if we're ready for certain restaurants, and, and give us people to do that with, that we're not eating and dining alone, that we can bring back these things to community and discern them in community, God. God, we know that there's danger in the world, but we know that you're with us all along the way. Would you just be with us in this? And help us find your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.